Hi, and welcome to I'll Have You Know. This is Tim. Hi, this is Kyle Roland. And we're part of the production team for I'll Have You Know. Before we get going with today's episode, we are here to announce the winners of the drawing we've had recently. Thanks so much, everyone who left a review on Apple Podcasts. We, of course, are very grateful for anyone who has reviewed or subscribed to the podcast so far on any platform. Um, But we did just run a drawing from March 1st to March 15th. Um, And we're going to go ahead and announce our two winners. So um, if you left a review on Apple Podcasts with the uh, screen name, if you will, of Life is Wonderful Love or the screen name of TX Trash, I would love it if you would please email me uh, at jgsbalumni at rice.edu. That's jgsb as in Jones Graduate School of Business, alumni at rice.edu. Um, And we would love to send you some swag. We've got some really great podcast t-shirts and uh, we'll throw some other stuff in there. So again, if you left a review under the name uh, Life is Wonderful Love or TX Trash, please email me and we would love to send you some stuff. Awesome. And more importantly, even though the period of time where people can submit to be eligible for the drawing is closed, we still want to hear back from you, the listeners, on what you feel and how you feel about the podcast. You know, what do you like? What do you dislike? What do you want to hear more of? We're always interested in feedback. So please uh, leave a comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you uh, download your podcasts. Awesome. Thanks so much. Please, again, like Tim said, feel free to reach out whenever you have comments. Um, Y'all, I think, know where to find us. Thank you so much, Kyle. And now, on to the show. Today on Owl Have You Know. While industry started working really hard to understand leader development and provide competency maps and you know doing all kinds of other things, colleges and universities were taking students on retreats and you know making s'mores and bringing in speakers that are inspiring but have a half-life of about 48 hours. Through our measurement work, we've discovered a lot of things that just don't produce that are mainstays in leadership programs in colleges and universities. Welcome into I'll Have You Know. This is another episode with your host, David Drugleaver, Rice Business Class of 2012. And on the line with me today, I have Tom Kolditz. This is a a lot to unpack here in terms of uh, what Tom has done. So Tom is a retired Brigadier General in the U.S. Army. He's out of West Point. Uh, at West Point, he led the Department of Behavioral Sciences and Leadership at West Point. He also has a PhD in social psychology, so we can say Dr. Kolditz as well as General Kolditz. He's the founding director of the Leadership Development Program at Yale School of Management and is currently the executive director and founder of the Door Institute of New Leaders here at Rice University. I'm sure we'll unpack that more and describe the, the charter there. Uh, that program was a top university program in 2019 uh, by the Association of Leadership Educators. In 2017, Tom received the Warren Bennis Award for Excellence in Leadership. And most recently, January 2021, uh, he has published the book Leadership Reckoning, subtitle, Can Higher Education Develop the Leaders We Need? Woo! Tom, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you today. Thanks, David. It's an honor beyond. Tom, I know I said a lot there, and um, it, would you like to uh, introduce yourself and help us understand perhaps the skim across the waves 
um, that maybe adds color to what I just said in terms of how you got here today and, and why leadership development is, is your focus uh, area today? Well, sure. I, uh, I'm a recovering academic. I, I'm a really pragmatic person, as you might expect after having 30 plus years uh, in the military. But the last part of my military experience, 12 years, was at West Point working in the Department of Behavioral Sciences and Leadership. And it was in that role that I kind of figured out how leaders can be developed in higher education. And uh, so I took some of those learnings to Yale with me when I left um, the Army and made some mistakes and had some big wins. And then uh, I was asked to come to Rice to do the Door Institute, which is my fifth leader development startup. And um, I think I was able to get well beyond what happened at, at Yale and even at West Point. Uh, I had always thought that if I had some resources and some freedom, uh, that I'd be able to build and lead a development enterprise in a private university that would make it as good as the service academies. It would make it as good as other places that put a high emphasis on leadership. So. That's sort of what happened over the last 20 years. Interesting. And one of the things that, that comes out to me, and, and I know you're alluding to it, um, this focus on developing leaders in higher education instead of outside of those institutions writ large. Uh, can you help us to understand why you feel that leadership development in higher education is a, is a place to uh, execute that charter instead of outside of higher education or in business or other areas? So higher education has evolved with a focus on, you know, 18 to 25 year olds, which if you know much about developmental psychology, you know, it's the perfect time to learn important things that you want to carry with you going forward, whether it's how to swim or Mandarin or in our case, uh, leadership. Uh, higher ed graduates 2.2 million people a year. And our early research uh, with the Door Institute has pointed out that just getting a four-year degree doesn't really equip you to lead at all. There's not even an incremental growth in a good leadership measure like leader identity or, or something else. So, so we took it upon ourselves to focus on higher ed. Uh, business schools just aren't big enough. Uh, business schools graduate about 100,000 people a year, and the, probably the University of Texas system graduates more than that. So really, if we want to have strategic impact and improve the circumstances in our country with respect to leadership, whether it's you know presidential leadership or running a t-ball team, uh, we need to focus at higher ed, both graduates and undergraduates, as they pass through that developmental experience. And instead of merely equipping them with an education, we need to give them the tools to constructively apply that education in whatever field they're going to be in. And right now, higher ed fails at that. Yeah, that, that's a lot in terms of calling out the, the failure. And I know that's the crux of your book, essentially, this reckoning of, of leadership. Before I go into that, uh, which I think will be fascinating, I, I'm sure you get the question all the time, what is a leader? And I can see from the collaterals that are public, um, the statement that everyone can be a leader and also that uh, at the Door Institute, 
you don't define leadership for people. You define that for yourself um, in terms of you know, becoming the leader that you want to be. So what does that look like for folks? Because I think the traditional modality is here's what a leader looks like, be this thing. <laughs> but from what I understand is you're saying that you get to create that yourself. So what does that process and framework look like in terms of uh, people that are learning from you, um, creating their own definition strategy of what a leader is? After studying academic leadership for a long, long time, I'm pretty convinced that no one, and I mean no one, can provide a constructive definition of what leadership is. You know, we see leaders, we understand a lot about what good leaders do, what poor leaders do, um, and that turns into a constellation of individual qualities, behaviors, uh, sometimes called competencies, which are easy to measure and relatively easy to train, uh, emotional changes like self-confidence and self-awareness and empathy, and we know how to measure that, uh, and cognitive shifts, the most important of which we think is leader identity or the, the sense that an individual believes they're a leader has confidence in their leadership ability, will seek out leader roles later in their in their lives. And so rather than you know participating in the academic food fight about what leadership is, what we do is work one at a time with individuals. And when you think of this constellation of qualities, they probably already have some. And then there are others that are perhaps weaker. And that gives us the opportunity to enhance their strengths in an intentional way and also to remediate some of their weaknesses so that they come out of the experience more capable to lead. So what we're about in the Door Institute is not doing definitive research that says this is what leadership is. We want to create more and better leaders. And so that's how we do it. You know, we focus on individuals. We don't crowd people into classrooms uh, for the most part. We, we work one-on-one -on -one and we allow them to select the things that they want to do. And by doing that, a couple magic things happen. First of all, we get the right people. You know, when I was at, at the Yale School of Management, I made most of the leadership experiences mandatory for all MBAs, mandatory coaching, mandatory classes, and so forth. And it was always, you know, 30%, 40% of the people in the back of the room with their arms crossed saying, well, you know, I'm going to be a finance guy. I don't need to work on teams. I'll cut my own deals. I don't need any of this leadership stuff. And it's a waste of time to bring people like that into a developmental program. So we, we benefit tremendously at the Door Institute by having people self-select in and choose the things that they think will be constructive for them, that will be good for them. Um, academe has a tendency to think that if something is good for one person in a given field, that it's good for everyone. So everyone takes the same physics test. Everyone's required to write poetry if they're in a poetry course. And in the Door Institute, that's not the approach we take. We, we don't just transfer knowledge. This is a, this is a human development project. And so the humans have to have a lot of input. Uh, in order to make it work. Yeah, so what I heard there is, I think the self-selection is huge. And then uh, after that, the part of, hey, you know, this is 
this is something that you have to really engage and lean forward in, in terms of your your own development and having your own ideas. And then your work helps to essentially nurture and accelerate that process. Did I catch that correctly? Yeah, I think I think you got it. And and just so we understand the scope and charter of the Door Institute, um, is it it's here at Rice University, of course. And is it focused on Rice students or is there other conversations and connections, engagement opportunities um, outside of Rice University? Well, fundamentally, our charter focuses on graduate and undergraduate students at Rice. So they're, you know, they're our sweet spot. They are the, the people that we do most of our work with and for. But there are other groups that we've worked with that, um, that augment that. So, for example, we've worked with Rice HR to help train people in Rice HR to do coaching and other kinds of developmental strategies with Rice staff. Um, we teach an outward-facing leader, leadership coaching certification course called Coach Rice, and that's for members of the Houston community and others. Uh, and we use the proceeds of that to plow back into our mission of developing students. We also have alumni programming that we have set up. It's very similar to what we do um, internally at Rice, but alumni can participate in it by, by giving a donation to the program. And that once again, helps us develop more Rice students. It also makes all of our programming available to, to alumni who, who wanna participate. And then lastly, we occasionally work with others outside in industry. So for example, we have a, a multi-session workshop called Catalyst that we have designed and it's very successful at Rice. And Fortune Magazine has uh, basically borrowed that from us, put it into their Fortune Connect uh, platform when they teach and train Fortune 500 leaders, and they've invited us to that platform. So we've done work with them, with their leaders, and uh, in a Catalyst module. And we're also consulting mostly on measurement. We're really focused on measuring outcomes and making sure that we're not just entertaining people, that we're that we're actually developing them. And so uh, recently the Obama Foundation reached out and we're working with them on how to measure growth in Obama fellows. I like the idea of, of measuring outcomes. And I think of for, for business leaders, especially it's, it's a conversation around, Hey, if we can't measure it, then there's no progress or, you know, we can't validate this effort was, was worth it. So can, can you unpack that a little bit more? What does it look like to, to measure those outcomes? What do those performance indicators look like? And how, how is progress um, shown inside of those outcomes that are measured? So step one is to forget the truism that leadership or the ability to lead can't be measured. It can definitely be measured. And the people who usually say that just don't know a lot about measurement. You know, they just don't understand how to do it. Um, it's a mistake to try to measure leadership as a fully uh, integrated concept for reasons we've already described. It's, it's impossible to define. It doesn't mean the same thing to every person. And consequently, we measure known psychological variables that we know uh, if a person grows in their capacity to lead, they're going to increase on those variables. 
So behaviorally, we measure skills like uh, delegating or giving feedback or uh, any other communicating, you know, a number of leader skills. And we measure it not only in the person who is learning to lead, but also the people around them so that we can get a, a more valid representation of, of uh, how they're presenting. Uh, emotionally, we measure things like empathy, self-regulation. We give most of our students a, an emotional intelligence measure, which is fed back to them by a professional coach who's trained in that measure. Uh, and then we can, we can work on some of these limiting emotional characteristics, you know, fear and uh, lack of confidence and so forth. And then we also measure cognitions. You know, what are people's beliefs about their own leadership? Do they have an identity that is increasingly one of being a leader uh, or do they not? And we have an identity scale score on every student at Rice because we've integrated it into the survey of all students. So we know about students who go through our programming and students who don't go through our programming. And we can use that for some really sophisticated measure. We, you know, we also measure psychological variables that are better described as well-being variables. So for example, sense of purpose, uh, life satisfaction, uh, psychological distress. And we see big changes on all of those uh, variables. And so we're using validated, published, existing psychological measures that are in alignment with leader growth. And that is the best way to measure leader development. That's a game changer. That is an absolute game changer. The fact that we can confidently communicate that those are measurable and anyone that wants to improve it can enter into that that space where it's like, hey, here's where I am now and I can actually improve. There's a there's a way to to put your finger on that improvement. One of the things that popped out to me when you talked about giving feedback, um, you know, I'm thinking about my manager. <laughs> I'm like, what about receiving feedback? Is that one of the measures as well? <laughs> well, I don't know if we measure receiving feedback as much as we deliberately work with it when we're one-on-one -on -one with a student who got some difficult feedback. Uh, you know, the, the ability to work one-on-one -on -one allows you to go straight to the root causes or the root challenges for that individual. Uh, and there are some really exciting indicators that we're, we're having an impact. For example, we're, we've, we've just started doing work on retention at Rice, who stays, who goes, and so forth. And what we found is that Black, uh, Latinx, and Native American students retain at a 10% higher rate at Rice if they've gone through Dorrance II programming. And we have a lot more work to do on that, but it's really um, promising that we can make these kind of changes that impact diversity and inclusion by developing people rather than having them sit through lectures or speakers or you know panels or any of the things that usually get thrown at them. Um, and we also see big changes in individuals that are in a certain degree of psychological stress, but perhaps not really needing full-blown psychological or psychiatric counseling. 
And we did an ROI study that suggested that 90 to 120 fewer students are going to the counseling center uh, because they've gone through door institute programming. And it is a causal study and a causal link. So it's not just a correlation. Uh, and what we can do then is we can go back and it's, it's better for the counseling center to not be overwhelmed. It's less expensive for Rice if they don't have that extra 100 people to, to work with. And um, we're probably reaching a lot of people who wouldn't go to the counseling center, but they're willing to have a professional leadership coach. So all kinds of really good uh, second and third order effects here. Uh, when you start measuring outcomes seriously. And most schools don't. Most of them measure process. You know, did the students like it? Uh, was the food good? Uh, would they recommend it to other people? That, that sort of measurement. And that's really not uh, useful. I think that's a great segue into leadership reckoning in your book. Um, and I like how it's described. It's, it's taking to task uh, higher education. So this idea that higher education has made this fundamental claim to develop leaders. And I, I think that narrative is baked in uh, for most folks, right? So so even when I think about my own parents, they want me to go to American education, higher education to improve myself and go go make an impact out in the world. So um, what precipitated and I know you're alluding to it, but what precipitated the effort to write this book out and to to make that the focus area um, and to make that so public? Because you could argue that's a very incendiary, could be an incendiary statement, right? <laughs> Saying that, hey, you, you all have failed. You say you're going to do all this stuff, but you failed at it. So can can you help walk us through that? thought process to where this is what you wanted to get published? Well, sure. You know, the first step in fixing something that's broken is recognizing that it's broken. Uh, and I have huge faith in higher education once they recognize a need and put their minds to it. There's nothing, there's no problems that can't be solved uh, by higher ed. But for some reason, uh, this notion of leader development has taken a backseat to just plain old education, you know, making a better physics graduate or a better uh, music graduate or what have you. And, uh, you know, universities are individual performer cultures. You know, unless it's in the athletic department, they're really not team focused. There are some labs and some engineering projects courses, but for the most part, you know, you get graded on your work. Faculty members get promoted on their research, their teaching, their service. And so while industry started working really hard to understand leader development and provide competency maps and you know, doing all kinds of other things, you know, colleges and universities were taking students on retreats and you know, making s'mores and uh, bringing in speakers that are inspiring but have a half-life of about 48 hours. Um, you know, through our measurement work, we've discovered a lot of things that just don't produce that are mainstays in leadership programs in colleges and universities. You know, leadership speakers, they have very little effect. TED Talks, very little effect on people in terms of their capacity to lead increasing. 
you know, single session workshops, uh, academic instruction and leadership, which we promote and, and we approve of, but sometimes people are tricked into thinking that by going to a leadership course, you're gonna become a better leader. And that does not generally happen. You know, there's a knowledge transfer like in any organization behavior or psychology course. But in order to get better as a leader, you have to work at it with some help. You know, you, you do it and you get better at it. And if you have someone that's really professional working with you, they can shape you so quickly, you know, and you can get so much better so quicker. I mean, I can remember the same thing when I was a kid. My dad used to take us to play golf and I was, I was a baseball player, so I could hit the ball a mile, but usually in the wrong direction. And it took about, you know, half an hour with a golf pro and I was twice as good. And that's what we're seeing with leadership in universities when we use professional people, not untrained mentors, not peer coaches, you know, total pros from the Houston business community that are certified by the International Coach Federation and that have a very specific skill set. People who are educated, trained, and experienced at something are better than people who are not. And universities have not discovered that in leader development yet. Mm, wow. Yeah, thank you for that color. And, and I can hear the, the passion in your voice in, in that. <laughs> so <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, I, I want to give you a shout out as I go through the list of endorsements for Leadership Reckoning. Uh, Al Gore is at the top of the list, which is awesome. I don't know how you pulled that off, but that's fantastic. And then the, the other one I, that really popped out to me was uh, Klaus Schwab, who's the founder and chairman of the World Economic Forum. He said that the book gave a directional compass, I'm paraphrasing a little, directional compass and framework for the fourth industrial revolution. And the reason that popped out to me is because I myself have spent most of my corporate career in big tech. And so as, as we think about things like AI and machine-to-machine -machine interactions, uh, the pace of technology moving, that makes sense to me in terms of the need for leadership, because now you start talking about morality and ethics and, and big tech. And that's, of course, been all the rage to talk about for, for many years. So, so not to get too myopic on, on tech, but as you see this process of, of being better or higher education being better at developing leaders, and as we look forward into how the world is evolving, being more interconnected, what do you see that impact in how the future leaders are going to engage in this fourth industrial revolution, in this, this age where everything is about tech and how tech intersects with humanity and organizations? Yeah, a lot of education has been focused on tech. And one of the things I learned, uh, actually through my own hiring to Rice, is that sometimes the people who know the most about a new concept or product or technology are among the least equipped to create a company or to otherwise make that technology available to other people. Uh, you know, I was hired in a process involving a, a, a executive search, a headhunter, and the headhunter worked for John Doerr. And as I talked to him, and we're friends now, and I know him pretty well, the process that he described that he does for Mr. Doerr is is really Kleiner Perkins or the John Doerr's venture capital firm will find a very promising 
young tech entrepreneur, somebody that has a big idea, somebody that has uh, technology that's going to potentially change the world. But in most cases, those people aren't prepared to, to lead or to create a company. So and a headhunter will go out and find a CEO, find a COO, find a CFO, and they will build a company around that person. And the reason they have to do that is because higher education does not equip people to, to move forward with their education. They, they give them an education. They do a great job at that but they don't give them the tools to apply it. And, um, you know, we see this all the time um, with young people who, who want to do things, but they, they just can't seem to get others behind it. They just can't, you know, they just can't seem to, to make it happen. And we want to eliminate that. You know, um, it's true that businesses that do leader development do better, but they shouldn't have to. You know, businesses sell services, make widgets, develop technologies. They shouldn't have to run a developmental enterprise because higher ed failed to do it. You know, they should get a at least a partially baked product from higher ed. And that that is not happening right now. And it is it it hurts society writ large to have people who are well educated but not interpersonally adroit enough to get things done. I love that because I'm thinking about my own career and how many different leadership development programs I've been through after school and seeing, to your point, the amount of resource time and energy that, that businesses devote to developing leaders um, and you know different rotational programs and, and other classes are bringing in consultants, et cetera. Um, so, Tom, maybe one or two more final topics, and uh, I want to leave you some space for a call to to action here. Um, this I'm going to call this a, a movement that you're creating, and it's a it's a big movement, right? To so change the way that higher education is thinking, and not and not just that, but also the approach of higher education towards developing leaders. What does success look like for you? Or maybe what are some of those milestones as you look forward in this movement that you are leading and shepherding forward? We know in the Institute, we think it's, it's an attainable goal for us to improve a thousand schools, thousand colleges and universities, and cause an enhanced developmental experience for a million students a year. We, we think that's attainable. And the way that we're going about it uh, initially is we have a relationship that we built with the Carnegie Foundation for the Advancement of Teaching. And so we are building and administering an optional or elective classification. You know, Carnegie classifies all universities, uh, R1 research universities, R2 community colleges, whatever they are. But there are also elective or optional classifications. So we've built one for leadership education and development called Leadership for Public Purpose. And we're, we're pretty much finished. It's, it's in the later stages of the pilot phase. And in late 2021 and, and early 22, uh, we will field that to 4,500 schools in the US, Canada, and Australia as an option, you know, and most of them will not exercise that option, especially in the first year or two. But most of those schools have developing leaders in their mission statement or in their vision. And consequently, 
when stakeholders look at their university, whether they're an alum or a prospective student or even a faculty member, and the school says it's developing students as leaders, but they, they haven't achieved this Carnegie classification in leadership, it's going to be dissonant and it's going to create a lot of pressure for schools to self-examine and improve. And that's all we're really looking for. We don't want to tell them how to develop leaders, you know, although we share everything. We share our data, our measurement instruments, our business practices, all of it. But what we want are for universities to self-examine, to look at themselves and say, are we doing silly leadertainment things? You know, Navy sealishness. Uh, are we doing some of these crazy, ineffective things? And are there better ways that have emerged in leader development science for us to graduate more and better leaders? And that's that's what we want at the Dorn Suit. We want an honest self-examination. And then this is not rocket science. Any university can can do the right and valid things. It's just there's been a tradition of sort of bottom feeding that has grown into something that's deeply embedded in these schools now. And they just have to shake it. They just have to look at themselves with an honest, you know, an intellectual honesty about what they're doing for, for their graduates and then do better. That's it. And we, we think we can get a thousand schools involved in the next five to 10 years. Love that. And that answers my, my, question on my list here about your big, hairy, audacious goals or your BHAGs, as they say. Um, so um, the audience here that's listening as of now is primarily focused of the, the Rice Business alumni community and students. Um, so I want to pass the conch shell to you um, to give some parting words or call to action, um, keeping in mind that um, a lot of the Rice Business graduates are, are listening. Um, so what is your call to action uh, for the folks that, that are listening, um, you know, given that audience? And um, what else would you like to provide in terms of how to learn more and uh, about your book or the Door Institute and, and how to connect with you? Well, you know, our, our real call to action is raising awareness. So when Rice business grads are talking to graduates of other fine institutions, uh, it would be great if they if they brought up this issue and got people talking about how leaders are developed in other business schools or in other other university settings. Uh, you know, I've talked to multiple boards of trustees from universities, Simmons in Boston and Seton Hall and in uh, on the East Coast. And usually when we get to that level, magic starts to happen because boards of trustees can ask hard questions and they can get things done. Um, it usually does not start at the individual professor or program level. Uh, they're, too, they're too far down the food chain. So, so for those that have influence with other schools, we'd love some buzz. Uh, leadership Reckoning helps. We took uh, three copies of Leadership Reckoning and sent them to the provosts and presidents of the top 200 schools in the country. So there's, you know, and we've gotten thank you notes from Howard University and the University of Pennsylvania and, you know, all kinds of places for doing that. And so that that part of the movement has already begun. And, uh, you know, we'll take any kind of help we can get on that visibility. 
Uh, you, you can buy Leadership Reckoning uh, by going to our website at door.rice.edu or, or going to Amazon or, you know, wherever you want. And we, we're proud of the book. I mean, we think it's an exciting book, but we're not, we didn't do it to sell books. We did it to raise awareness and we'll probably give away as many books as we sell. So, you know, look the book over. If you have the time, there's a pretty good audio book um, that was read by a guy named Tom Colditz. So, you know, you'll be able to, I know that guy. to hear it if, uh, <laughs> if, you, if you prefer that. But, but that's something that, uh, that you can do. You know, the Door Institute uh, runs solely on gift funds. And we have ways for alumni to donate to the Door Institute and to participate in it that way. If, if an alum would care to do that or an alumna, we, we appreciate it. And we will turn that into development for students. One of the, we just did our budget analysis with the provost and the budget people. And you know, one of the things we're really proud of is that we spend more money delivering to students than we do salaries. I mean, we, we will develop 800 to 850 Rice students this year with nine full-time people. We're, we're probably the most efficient uh, delivery mechanism on campus in that way. Now, we have probably 80 other people who are vendors or volunteers or grad student workers or, or what have you. So it's a bit, it, in terms of its impact, it punches way above its weight. Uh, in particular, we have an opportunity now where we give we give stipends to students who who have financial needs and who couldn't do a, a leadership role on campus, like student association president or something. We give them stipends. They compete for them, and and we give them stipends. And this year, we're going to name each stipend after a donor. And these are not gigantic gifts. They're, you know, three to five thousand uh, dollar kind of gifts, but they have huge impact for a young person who, instead of being a waitress, now she can go and be, you know, on the student council or run a rice club or something like that. Uh, and it's it's one way for people to deliberately and directly impact a young person's development as a leader at Rice. So I just mentioned that. Uh, you know, it's something that we're just starting to do. We've done the stipends for a while, but allowing them as a naming opportunity mm, is new. That's fantastic. And I believe before offline, you'd mentioned um, some programs for folks that um, are either in the MBA program or maybe post MBA um, at, at Rice. Um, would you like to call that out as well? Yeah, it's very exciting. And of course, we have outsized participation by MBAs uh, in all of our programming. We also have a custom-designed coach training course just for MBAs at Rice. Uh, we're looking to do possibly a second one to a year. Uh, you know, I already mentioned the coach training that alumni could, could come to, and we've trained many, many uh, Rice alumni as professional coaches, and they augment their income with that, and they, you know, it, it becomes a professional credential and a, and a skill set. We offer professional coaching to Rice alumni, again, on a donation basis. But, you know, by the time we give those alumni about a 10, 10 to 15% discount and they can deduct the donation from their taxes, uh, it's the cheapest way in Houston to get a coach, uh, without a doubt. And again, these coaches are 
well-developed coaches in the Houston business community. They teach, you know, they're coaching oil execs in the morning and rice students in the afternoon. So they're very high quality people delivering measurable results. Thank you for that. And um, so I think that wraps up for today, Tom, um, slash Dr. Kolditz, slash General Kolditz. So uh, this has been an absolute pleasure. I, I have goosebumps on right now, just thinking about the movement and just changing the game. That's, that's what you're doing. <laughs> I think it's so cool. Um, so uh, for folks listening, if you don't see it in the show notes, um, you can find out more about the Door Institute at door.rice.edu. So that's D-O-E-R-R.rice.edu. Or similarly, you can go to leadershipreckoningbook.org to check out um, Tom's book. So Tom, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure and I cannot wait for folks to tune in. Thanks, David. This has been I'll Have You Know. Thanks for listening. You can find links and more information about our guests, hosts, and announcements on our website, business.rice.edu. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you find your favorite podcasts and leave us a comment while you're at it. Let us know what you think. I'll Have You Know is a production of Rice Business and is sponsored by the Rice Business Alumni Board. The hosts of I'll Have You Know are myself, Christine Dobbin, and David Drew Gleaver. 